Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's dive into our word today because we are ending our series, Come Follow Me. And I hope that it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's encouraged you. And I'll say something that I've said at the beginning of each of these messages. The most important calling God has ever given mankind is the call, come and follow me. That is paramount. That is the most important words. Why, why do I say that? Why would, why would I say, Pastor, that's your opinion. Why is that your opinion? Because the God of the universe became flesh and blood. And in his perfection, and flesh and blood. He called flawed men and women like you and me to follow him. What greater call is that? What greater call is there in the world than the ability to follow the God of the universe? And so that's why I say this is the most important call. And for three weeks now, we focused on the first part of that calling, which was, is the title, Come and Follow Me. Simply follow. And for three years, that's what the disciples did. These men had the privilege and the honor of learning Jesus' ways. They learned how he felt about situations. They learned how he felt about people. They watched him in the most difficult moments of his life, and they got the opportunity to learn from him. They learned how to honor his words and apply them to to their lives. They got that privilege. They watched Jesus deliver words and they heard him say things like, if you hear these words and apply them to your lives, your life, you are like the man who built his house on the rock. But if you hear these words and you don't apply them to your life, you are like the man who built his house on the sand. And they got to watch this happen and applied it to their lives. They learned how to pray by listening to God talk to God. They got to watch that happen. They learned how to value and work through tough relationships amongst themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but it encourages me that you can go to sleep at night next to Jesus Wake up in the morning, eat breakfast with God, listen to him talk to you, and still have problems with people. Come on, somebody. That don't encourage you, it should. When I read the Bible, again, they're hearing the words of life from the Son of God, the Son of Man. They're hearing these things, and they're still arguing with one another. That's encouraging. I thought about when I was writing this message, I thought about Matthew chapter 16, and we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but take your time. Go, go there and read it and take your time and, and unpack it. Because sometimes we skip over these very important things in the Bible. Things like conflict amongst the disciples who had given up everything to follow Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples and he's telling, he's trying to teach them a lesson. And he tells them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. 
He's trying to teach them something about hypocrisy, trying to teach them something about being, living the type of life that you're preaching to everyone else. And he's teaching them these things. And you know what they're doing? They start fighting because they think they're ta- he's talking about one of them forgetting to bring the bread. They start arguing. They're like, John, it was your turn. Peter, shut up. You're always talking. Right, they're arguing and they're fighting and Jesus is probably like, y'all are completely missing the point. I'm trying to teach you something. He, and he literally told them, were y'all not there when I multiplied the bread and fed 5,000 people? But they still had fighting and arguing and, and bickering amongst themselves. That is why we need God to show us how to navigate relationships. Because even following Jesus, faithfully following Jesus, you will still have problems with people. So again, that's a shameless plug. Come next week for Relationships 101. But again, for three years, they learned these things directly from Jesus. But the calling did not stop with come and follow me. There was another part. I want to, if you will, go with me back to a scripture that we've read a lot in this series, in Mark chapter one, verse 16. If you have your Bibles, get them out. If not, we'll have it up on the screen. This is what that calling, that very first calling, these words, this is where it came from. In Mark chapter one, verse 16, it says this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, Follow me. Then he says, and. Everybody say, and. And. Say it one more time. Say, and. And. I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. I love the way the ESV version says this. The ESV says it a little bit differently. It says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, the first part of this calling is come follow me. And that's what we focused on for three weeks because that is so vitally important. And there's two extremes that we can go on when it comes to adhering to the calling of God on our lives. And those extremes are very extreme. The first part of the calling was come follow me. But there was an and in there and we cannot miss the and. Let me talk about the extremes just for a moment. Because one of the first traps of of Christianity is when it becomes works-based. When it's all about what I do for God. Pastor, I'm called to help people. I'm called to lead a small group. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to to be, I'm an intercessor. I'm called to do all of these things. But you miss the first part. Follow me. Follow Jesus. Well, that doesn't seem to make sense. Let me explain it to you this way. You can do a lot of good things for him and not do them with him. You can do a lot of stuff, quote unquote, for God and burn yourself out doing things for God, but there's no relationship between you and God. You're not listening to what he wants for your life. You're simply trying to do the things that you somehow think he wants you to do without actually listening to what he wants you to do. 
There's a works-based Christianity that we think somehow I can earn my salvation. I can earn right standing with God. God, don't you know, I'm a, I was on the serve team at Bruce R. Campus. Lord, I led a small group. Jesus, I get extra points. I was in the nursery. And we do all of these things thinking that that's what pleases God. The first thing that you have to do is follow him. And in following him, you get to learn his ways. You learn how he thinks. You spend time with him. You hear his voice. You learn those things. That's the first part. And if we miss that, we miss it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what the Bible calls losing your first love. In the book of Revelation, Jesus corrects a church and he tells them, you've done all of these things. You are known for your righteous works. You are known for these things. But I have one thing against you. You have lost your first love. You're doing it for all the wrong reasons and you're not following me. And that's heavy, but that's very important because it's an extreme that we can go down. We can do a lot of incredible things, quote unquote, for God because we're trying to fill a void of significance in our own lives. I wanna be significant, I wanna be somebody, therefore I'm gonna use the church and my own righteousness to fill that vacuum in my life. And the truth is, it never fills because you just burn yourself out. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Follow him. That's the first command. Will God tell you to stop doing something for him? You better believe he will. You better believe he will call you. He will call you to stop for a season. You better believe he will tell you you need to sit down. But I'm doing all of this stuff. Yeah, but your heart's not right. Or you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Or you've left the trail of dead bodies behind you. Sit down and follow me. That's the first extreme. But yet there is another extreme as well. Because we can miss the and. The next extreme is this. We become loving and sweet and we're growing and we're praying and we're kind, but we never become fishers of men. Yes, we're following, but we're not fishing. And that's really what I wanna to talk to you about. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. I want you to know something. God loves you, but God also loves to use you for his glory. God also loves to put you in positions where you're absolutely dependent on him and he comes through and you see him do the miraculous in your life and you know this was not me, this was God. And he gets the glory and the credit and the honor but he uses you to glorify his name. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Well, pastor, show me that in the Bible that that happens. I'm glad you said that, I'm glad you asked. Because there was a time when Jesus sent out his disciples 
He sent out, as a matter of fact, 72 of his followers, not just the 12, 72 to go out and preach the gospel and heal the sick and to cast out devils and to build the kingdom. And they came back and they were so excited. And yes, Jesus had a teaching moment with them because they came back going, Jesus, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, listen, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in the kingdom. Rejoice that you're following, okay? Be grateful for that. But then the Bible says he walked away and he rejoiced. Why was he rejoicing? Because they were building his kingdom. Because they were getting it. Because for the amount of time he was investing in them, he was seeing the fruit of that produced in their lives. And they were going out and doing the work of the kingdom. And the Bible says he rejoiced. He loves using his people to bring glory to his name. Jesus invested in them knowing that one day he was going away. And the responsibility of spreading the good news, spreading the kingdom was going to fall to them. So for three years, that's what he did. He prepared them. He invested in them. He corrected them. He gave them opportunities to grow, and he gave them opportunities to fail. Why? Because they were his only plan to change the world. God does not have a plan B. We, the people of God, are his plan. We are the plan to save the world, to change the world. That's, I didn't say that, I'm not making that up. That's not an OSC thing, that is a Jesus thing. You are the light of the world, you are. Not just the apostles, not just people with pastor or evangelist or apostle or prophet in front of their name, you are. You are the hope of the world. You are the light of the world. And there is no other plan other than his church. So it's easy. We can look at the world and criticize the world and critique the world, but we're the answer. We are the answer. See, I want you to see what the early church looked like. And again, I've read this first part of the scripture every week, but I want you to see, I'm going to read more to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the very beginning of the church. This is what God wanted his church to look like. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Don't miss this part. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, the early church, the church at the beginning was devoted to the teachings of Jesus. They were devoted to the word of God like we've talked about. They were devoted to community with one another. They were giving and sharing and encouraging and provoking one another. They were devoted to prayer, but they were also a growing church. And the Lord was adding to them every single day those who were being saved. 
Now, they were not growing for bragging rights. They were not growing so that they can be on the cover of some magazine. They weren't growing for prestige. They weren't growing so that a pastor's platform could be big on Instagram. They were growing because Jesus loves people. And when people come into the kingdom, when people come into the church, the kingdom grows. The church grows. That is called healthy. It's called healthy. Why did they grow? Why did the church grow? Because the disciples took the words of Jesus seriously. That's why. They took his words seriously. One of the first things that Jesus said to them, as I mentioned to you, is come follow me and I will show you how to be fishers of men. But I want you to see one of the last things that Jesus said to them. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, this is after he's died on the cross, after he's risen from the dead, and he's getting ready to ascend to heaven, to sit at the right hand of the Father. Before he ascends up, this is what he tells them. Verse 16, Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So one of the first things he said is, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. One of the last things he says is, go out and make disciples of all nations. Go out and teach them everything that I've invested in you. First, be a disciple. Then he told them, make disciples. Now, I want you to notice this. Again, Jesus didn't say go into the world and build giant cathedrals. He didn't say go into the world and get the best sound system that you can find. He didn't say go into the world and invite everybody to come hear Peter because he's really good. He told them, go into the world and make disciples. That was the commission. That was the command. And I love the way Tim Tebow said a couple weeks ago, you can simplify the great commission by calling it the great mission. It's our mission. Go into all of the world and make disciples. Are y'all with me this morning? See, this was the process that for those three and a half years, Jesus put his disciples through, knowing that they would be the hope of the world when he left. Number one, they had to become a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a disciplined learner. That's what the word means, a disciplined follower, a disciplined learner, someone who follows. It is not just someone who makes a belief system a religion. It is someone who literally changes their lives based on the teachings that they're receiving. They adhere to those teachings. The next thing that they did, the next part of the process is the actual process of discipleship, of lordship. It's when Jesus is really Lord of your life, when things start getting cut out of your life and you choose to keep following him. When things happen in your life and it doesn't seem to make sense, but you keep following him and you're faithful to him. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is the original Mr. Miyagi. 
Jesus will have you doing things and going through things and you're going, I, I don't understand this. Why am I doing this? Only for it to make sense five years later where it not only benefits your life, but you have something to benefit the lives of everyone else that's around you who watched you go through what you went through. And they, they can listen to you say, God's faithful. See, that's the heart of Romans 8.28. That's the heart of it. He works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If it's not good now, he's not done yet. He works it out for your good. Here's the thing about God. God will do surgery on our lives. He will put you on the table and start cutting. And the only responsibility that we have in those moments, don't miss this, is to stay on the table. That's the only responsibility you have when God's doing surgery on your life because he's the one who's doing it. All you have to do is stay on the table. Let him do what it is that he wants to do because if you will trust him through it, you will be able to say, great is his faithfulness. That's the process that he walked his disciples through as they didn't understand when after three years of following him, he said, guess what, I'm going away. Excuse me? I left my business, I left my family, I left, are you kidding me? You're going away? Yeah, I'm going away, but trust me. And they did. Even in their doubt, they did. Great is his faithfulness. But then the third part of this process is this. He didn't just go, I taught y'all it's great, I'm, now I'm going away. He said, no, 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 everything I've invested in you, I need you to now go and invest in others. Go and make disciples. That's what God wants for us. Again, the hope of the world is not politics. I hope in the last few years you've discovered that. The hope of the world will never be in your political side. Both of them are wrong. Do they have good parts? Yes, of course. But he is right in everything that he does. So the hope of the world is not politics. The hope of the world is not, it's not some type of philosophy or some belief, some brilliant philosopher who's going to come and change the world. No, no, no. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is not in a one-time event. We all came together at the Cajun Dome and we prayed one prayer and now the world's safe. That is not how it works. We are the hope of the world. And the way that he wants us to be that light is for us to make disciples. This is God's plan. You ready? I'm going to make it very simple. Y'all with me? Here is God's plan of changing the world. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's how the kingdom multiplies. That's how the kingdom grows. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's people reaching people who reach people. It's people teaching people who teach people. That is the way of God's kingdom. Well, that doesn't seem like it worked. Let me, let me, let me backtrack for a moment. One man in a small, relatively unknown region of the world took 12 men, invested his life in them for three years, and here we are 2,000 years ago in America talking about what he did. The kingdom is called to make disciples. 
And that will spread like wildfire. That is the way God wants us to build his kingdom. What am I saying? What am I trying to say? I'm going to make it very simple for you. Part of following Jesus, that call, part of following Jesus is taking on the responsibility of building his kingdom. Part of being his follower is taking on the responsibility of building his kingdom. All believers are called to contribute to the growth of God's kingdom. I'm not just talking about our church. If you pray with someone who gets born again and they move to Alaska, praise God, the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows. You have a role to play in God's kingdom. Listen to this. You have a sphere of influence I will never have. What are you doing with that sphere of influence? What are you doing with what he's given you? Everywhere you go, the kingdom goes with you. Everywhere you go, the hope of the world goes with you. This dark, twisted, perverted, and continuously getting worse world, the only hope that it has is found in you. Well, Pastor, you don't know me. No, I I do. I know you're flawed like I am. I know you have struggles and problems just like the person next to you. But I also know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That I do know. As his followers, we do what he did. See, that's what the apostles did. And I'm going to be closing soon. Don't worry. This is what the apostles did. The apostles did that. They preached to large crowds just like Jesus did, but they also reached the individuals just like Jesus did. And they also walked with people who, and taught them the ways of the kingdom and how to follow him just like Jesus did. So you may be saying, well, how can I do this? I'm going to give you some very practical things to do. How can I build the kingdom, Pastor Gabe? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Pray for people that you know who don't know Jesus. Pray for them. When you go in your time before God, yes, pray for what you need, but also pray that his kingdom comes to other people's lives. And I want you to pick the people who you think there is no way in heaven or hell that they would ever get saved and watch God do it. Watch God do it. Pray for them. Number two, share what Jesus has done in your life with others. When you have the opportunity, when the door is open or when God calls you to kick the door wide open, share share with others what Jesus has done in you. I don't know what to say. Just tell them what God did for you. Just tell them where you were, what he did, and where you are now. Share the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus came to save you and he can save them. Are y'all with me? The next thing you can do, very simple, invite people to church. Invite them. When we do a relationship series, you know how many people have struggling relationships who just need hope? You know how many people have marriages that are this far away from being over? Invite people. Let them come and hear it. We have baptisms come. Invite people to see people come and get baptized. Invite them. Compel them to come. What am I doing? I'm trying to provoke you to walk out the calling. The next thing you can do, very simple. 
be loving, welcoming, and serving here at this church. I never want a person to walk in these doors and be met with someone in our church being rude and selfish. If someone comes in and they look like they're having a rough time, move out of your precious seat that you don't pay for and let them sit down. Be serving and loving and welcoming because you may be the only Bible they ever read. They come here distraught and hurting and broken and already afraid they're gonna be judged and then get met by somebody who's rude. That's not the way of the kingdom. The last one, help believers who are wanting to grow. If you see someone struggling, grab a hold of them and help them learn what you've learned. Teach them what's been invested in you. That is the way of the kingdom. Be there for people in their darkest moments. When people are facing loss or heartache, be there. I don't want to intrude. Let them draw that boundary. Let them draw their own boundary. You help them. You offer to bring them meals. Pray for them. Spread God's kingdom. And as I close, I'll close with this. Reasons why we don't. You don't have to take these notes because you already know them. Reasons why we don't. Because I don't want to look weird, Pastor. I don't want to be the Jesus freak. That's the title I proudly wear. There are a lot of worse things you can call me. That's one reason. I don't want to look weird. Listen, you have to die to your opinion. Part of taking up your cross and denying yourself is dying to the opinions of other people. We live for his pleasure. We live for the audience of one. Another reason, I'm too busy. I got so much going on. The most rewarding thing you will ever do are the things that you can carry with you into eternity to say, this is Lord, I followed you and built your kingdom. You're never too busy to help someone. You're never too busy to invest in someone's eternity. Well, I don't know enough. When will you ever? When do you cross the threshold of knowledge that somehow allows you to know enough to help someone or tell someone what Jesus has done for you? No, you do know enough because you know what he's done for you. I'm not good enough. Jesus' disciples weren't perfect. I already told you, they were sitting there arguing and bickering over bread. The thing that justifies you is being his follower. It's not your own righteousness. If you are a follower of Jesus, you qualify to help someone who is not because you've heard the truth and you know it. You don't have to be 10 steps ahead of them. You just have to be one or two to bring them along to where you are. And the last reason, and I say this to my seasoned saints in the room, well, pastor, I've been burned before. I've tried and people were crazy. I know. I pastor them and counsel them. Guess what? Sometimes you are too. But thank God the people didn't quit on us. Thank God someone thought enough of us to take the risk, to walk with us, to help us be a follower of Jesus. Do the same. As long as they're willing, I'll help. The moment they stop being willing, just like Jesus, I'll let them walk away. 
but as long as they're willing, they should find help in the house of God. So in closing, I leave you with Jesus's challenge. One of the last things that he said before he ascended to heaven, Matthew chapter 28. Once again, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people called by your name. And I ask that you call us, you've already called us, but you would let that calling resonate inside of our hearts to take our responsibility seriously to build your kingdom. And I pray that you would give them the grace and the courage and the boldness to step out and to make disciples to share the good news, to share what you've done in their lives. And I thank you for that. I know we're going a little bit over, but I'm asked for a moment. Everybody, eyes closed and heads bowed. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Gabe, you're talking about this good news, this gospel that we're supposed to spread. I don't have that working in my own life. I'm far away from God. I'm not his follower. I have good news for you. God loves you so much that Jesus died on that cross so that you could be his follower, so that you could have new life, so that you could be free. I'm talking about what the Bible calls being born again. And it's a very simple process that we talk about here in our church, and it is exactly how it sounds. You die to the old you, and you become a new creation. Sins forgiven right standing with God, now a disciple, now a follower. So with no one looking around, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to that. How do I do it, Pastor? A, A, you admit that you're a sinner. You admit there's sin in your life. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to die on that cross for you and for your sin. And C, you confess that he is now Lord of your life and that you will follow. With no one looking around on the count of three, that's you. I want to pray for you and lead you in that prayer. One, two, three. If that's you, I want you to lift up your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Praise God. Anyone else? This is your moment. Thank you. You can put it down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross. You died for my sin, my guilt, and my shame. I believe you faced hell, so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. And I devote my life to you. And from this moment on, I will follow you. God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with every person that prayed to be born again.